Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agas Ramirez. This is part three of Princess Orduha of Tawalisi, where we are still joined by Tiffany Ang, director of the short film Princess Orduha. Let's get right to it. Noong unang panahon, isang maganda at magiting na prinsesa ang nanirahan sa kaharian ng Tawalisi. Ang lupang mas kilala ngayon bilang Pangasinan. Si Prinsesa Urduha ang kanyang kapatid na si Haring Mahabala ang nagtutulungan sa pamumuno ng Tawalisi. Taglay nila ang karunungan at katapangang kinakailangan para maipagtanggol ang kaharian sa kung sino man ang nais sumakop dito. Isang araw, habang nagbabantay sila sa may tabing dagat, may narinig silang malakas na sigaw. Tulong! Agad itong pinuntahan ng hari at inatasa ng prinsesa na manatili sa tabing dagat upang magbantay. Our listeners have heard the official blurb of the film, but how would you describe it now several years later, looking back? What, what, is, what stands out to you about that experience? Well, in describing, well, I guess I would always, always say that it's a fantasy drama anyway. A fantasy drama film that interweaves the story of a soldier's wife named Rita and Pangasinan's legendary warrior, Princess Urduha, as these two characters face grief and an uncertain future. It's also worth noting that um, Rita's kids, Angela and Noah, who recounts the story of Princess Urduha in an endearing way. So they are the characters. And then I wrote the story of the short film Princess Urduha at the time when I was still grieving of my Lola's passing. Uh, my Lola's name is Sesenanda. She is of Pangasinan descent. And I think the film Princess Urduha is somehow my way of memorializing her. Because for one, she's also a wife of a soldier. So that's where Rita's character was based from. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh, Princess Urduha's character pays homage to her as a woman of courage and bravery for looking after her family after being widowed. And it generally pays tribute to her roots and ancestry, which will find its way back to Pangasinan. So I think more than anything, the short film is my way of honoring her. And I couldn't forget that feeling I had. When I started to join film festivals, because um the film went from the Philippines, China, US, and then Malaysia, it felt like I was bringing my Lola to these places that she has never been because she never traveled overseas, and so I 
feel like through this film, it's like she has traveled with me since her name is built in the credit section, like as a, as a, as my way of memorializing her and just um giving respect. So that though she's no longer with us in person, through the film, it's as if she's there in spirit. So that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry, of course, to hear about your Lola's passing. Yeah. So in a way, I guess... Her passing also brought you to her homeland, her exactly. hometown. Exactly. Basically, Princess Urdu is like just a culmination of everything. <laughs> and uh, I'm quite surprised, even until now. I mean, I just posted an IG story earlier that says, nah, this film surprises me in like a lot of a lot of reasons. Um, and later on, I'll enumerate them. But yeah, I mean... <laughs> Film can really be powerful, no? <laughs> and that's yeah. that's my that's just my um conclusion at this point. <laughs> I think what what stood out to me when I was watching the short film was, um, how how still everything was. Like, um, even when every well, even when the frame was moving, there was a stillness yeah. in the film that <laughs> felt felt a lot like sorrow without saying anything. Yeah. So, um, that was intentional, I think. That was, yeah, you really intended it. To uh, be. one scene that really stood out to me was uh, when, uh, not to spoil everyone, but there was this one point when Rita had to talk to Angela, and I, yes. I really, uh, sort of intended it to be like a still shot all throughout. So the actions, there's no cuts. It's like a long emotion, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I had to like capture it because. I guess that's the power of like you being there. <laughs> I really appreciated how it said so much about grieving and yes. sorrow and recovery without a lot of script. Like it was really no words, right? Mm, yeah, doesn't was, have to say anything. <laughs> it did not have to say anything, but you felt through just the movement and the angles and the lighting and everything how um what the characters were going through and um that's something i think something um people need to remember when they're making films it's really about the misansan and yeah. you don't have to throw a lot yeah. of um bells and whistles into your film to convey a feeling yeah even the the most powerful at least scenes for me are even are the simplest ones there's something about simplicity that's just so moving and so striking. So, yeah, I mean, even even in the uh, since I'm a digital content producer, normally people nowadays, they would just play with sound effects and everything, just throw everything there. But for me, I always, always appreciate it when there's silence. <laughs> I also oh. appreciate it about your film because when I was watching it I was I found myself relaxing and just going on this journey mm-hmm. and even if the film was short like there are frames there that I still remember Aww. because of just how how quiet everything was yes how how much meaning there was in the stillness and so taking off from that mm-hmm. can you tell us about the process like casting someone to play your duha and Rita, how you designed their costumes, how you found the locations. Yeah, this is the part where like everything just <laughs> went bad. Like it's a 
time travel. But it's really a fun story to share. So hopefully you guys can um can what do you call this? Like go through it's a lengthy account. So <laughs> pardon me, but I'll make sure it's gonna be fun. So as a filmmaker, my approach is very much practical. So as I mentioned earlier, Pangasinan became my central point because everything led there. Logistics, my relatives were there. So they were very much willing to help out like in cooking meals for the crew even all the stuff that happens behind the camera. The casting for Urduha, on the other hand, was pretty easy. Because at the time I was writing the story, I knew beforehand that the physical features of Princess Urduha uh, fits and perfectly fits my closest friend in high school. And her name is Valerie Santos. And I just want to acknowledge her, sorry, <laughs> in this podcast. Because she might be listening to this particular episode, um, even though she's already based in UK. So if you are here, hi, Val. Hey, Valerie. Yes, my Princess Urduha. I miss you, dear. And thank you again for accepting the role of Urduha. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> she's not She's not a professional actress? Uh, no. I Well, she's... Uh, she i've we've been together in theater uh like we do uh. plays in in high school but yeah nothing nothing really professional like she doesn't really earn from it it's just really like a passion during passion. our high school years yeah but her her movements i found were very deliberate Aww. and she had a great awareness of the camera and that really sold the she didn't have to say anything yes to, sell the power behind yeah. I really appreciated that. Um, and then Rita, you mentioned in a different interview, was also from Pangasinan. Yes. And funny how Rita's character came through because for her character, we sent out casting calls, I think a month before filming. And I remember this vividly. Ian Galigas, the one who actually played the role of Rita, messaged me on Facebook as soon as she saw the casting call advertisement. Because number one, she said she was from Pangasinan and she really wanted the role. And then she knew the local language and she even knew how to do fight scenes. So originally, through her message, I sort of understood that she was actually aiming to play the actual Princess Urduha. But here's the thing. I had reservations because I was really on the lookout for someone to play Rita, which for me requires someone more experienced in acting. Uh, because, uh, But since she wanted Urduha's role first, so uh, I told myself, okay, let's wait until the auditions. And there were, I think, four or five women who auditioned for Rita before Ian came in. But I wasn't happy. I think I had one backup for her just in case. I, I was hoping Ian could still make it for the auditions because we were already done with the formal auditions and the room we used wa- was already closed by the time that she came. And I think I was just waiting outside for like one hour because she came from taping that time. So I waited for her. I think uh, one hour later, um, when everybody is finished already, I remember... It was already dark that time. We were in UP film building or lobby. And then she came, she read the lines, did the audition in front of me. Even though it was gloomy that time, the moment she read those lines, I knew. I knew already that the role of Rita will be hers. So the role fit her perfectly. I mean, she delivered so well 
I didn't have to give so much instruction. And yeah, that's how Miss Ian Galigas was cap uh was casted for the role of Rita. And so Miss Ian, <laughs> if you're listening, Hello, thank you <laughs> so much for your support for my film. And I hope you could see each other. I mean the last time we saw each other I think was my thesis defense. Oh, thesis defense? No. Cine Filipino when I when I sent my film there. That was our last um what do you what do you call it? last meeting so i hope i hope i hope i could see you soon so there <laughs> there's a i think for for miss ian there was a there's a sort of kindness and generosity in her face yeah. i don't know how to explain this but, but you know like what warm... to be to be honest she's really a quirky like a funny person in in in, in i mean in face to face Mm-hmm. But she could carry like drama. Yeah. I guess it it comes from experience either way. I mean, uh, she's been with a, lots of teleseries and EBS already. So and yeah. she, she acts. She acts with her whole body. Also. Yes. So it's a <laughs> it's a nice thing to see because um we see a lot of student films and um it's just so different to see um something like this come together um i have a question about the costume for urduha oh, this How is did fun <laughs> this is fun as for the costume um my mom's hobby is sewing <laughs> she oh, was the one who tailored this was a family project yes this was really, this was really <laughs> a family project because she was the one who tailored my school uniforms back in the day <laughs> and she even makes our echo bags at home so I think for me, there is no other person I'd love to make the wardrobe of Urduha than my own mom. And I remember reser- uh, researching, no, I remember searching through Divisoria that time because it's a famous commerce center here in the Philippines for very low-priced goods. And the fabrics of Urduha's outfit came from there. I personally picked the colors uh, because um, that wardrobe of hers was inspired by the different paintings of Urduha by number one, Fernando Amorsolo, and then Botong Francisco. And if you could just side-by-side side those paintings of theirs, of Urduha, um, I mean, the common thing is that there are red and gold hues. So even Haring Mahabada's costume, um, Urduha's brother in the film, that was owned by my mother also. And then the jewelry, everything was bought in the malls of Divisoria. And what's worth noting is the sword. Have you noticed the sword? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. So the sword is like, I had to mention this because I had so much fun collaborating with the blacksmith in Tarlac for this one. This was real? This was real? Yeah. Uh, I had them customize it. I asked. Um, wow. Because there is this couple of blacksmith shops in Tarlac. Uh, along MacArthur Highway and I went into one and then I just showed them can you do this this is how I wanted it to look like and so yeah just give us like this certain number of days and then go back and then you'll have it so there and then I remember be- being so giddy when I saw the finished product and I still have it and with me did, at home <laughs> did they have questions for you like what is this for? yeah oh well yeah they asked now <laughs> what what's it for is it just for display at home and then i said no it's for a short film ah okay <laughs> but here's an interesting originally i wanted it to be done in pangasinan because i i believe there's a blacksmith town in pangasinan also it's just that i couldn't go there i think it's farther than our usual locations but the the design for the sword also came from the paintings uh 
actually it was my own like imagination of how I wanted it to be so I sort of just drew it and then just showed them like can you make it look like this one and then they said yeah we can do that so um you mentioned um King Mahabala yeah yes where does he come from? I have not read about him or heard about him before. Was he a creation or? Ah, uh, yeah. He was just a creation. I think by the time I was researching for like relatives of Urduha, I saw uh, only recently have I have I seen the word uh, or like the name Dalisay. Before the accounts I've seen, there's really no other name I could find like what's the name of her father or her brother so it's something i just conceived from i I just made it up so there's practically nothing about anybody yeah it's just although sorry i really couldn't remember how i ended up with mahabala but i think it's like an old an old Mm. tagalog terminology i'm sorry (laughs) it's really something i just made up so i couldn't give like a, a deep account into oh, it. <laughs> I also um, I I do remember in the account of Ibn Batuta, he mentioned that uh, Urduha had a brother mm-hmm. who was yes. transferred to a to rule over a different part of the kingdom and then she was given um dominion over the port area. Yes. So I was thinking like, oh, maybe Tiffany was thinking about that brother and then she gave him a name. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But I I kind of deviated from how it was really originally because this is quite fictional anyway. But yeah, I I I I what do you call this? It was inspired by that, knowing that she had a brother. It's just that that brother didn't have a name. <laughs> So I had to like make up a certain name, and then I ended up with King or like Haring Mahabala. So looking back seven years later, is there anything you would have done differently when you were making this film or for the editing? Honestly, not none. Well, just one very minor nitpick on production design but I'll keep it a secret <laughs> because it's not worth <laughs> so we don't know yeah so you won't notice yeah it's not it's not worth discussing anyway <laughs> but I guess from a standpoint I mean from a res- like recent standpoint or current standpoint uh, being now as a filmmaker with relatively more experience in life I could definitely see now more areas where I could have made the story or screenplay have more deeper issues or like um inject more human emotion. So again, Princess Urduha is not a perfect film. I mean, I I I, I can't perfect. I I mean, film is subjective anyway, so you can't really mm-hmm. say that it, it should be perfect. And it's my debut film anyway, so I'm so amateur by that time of the necessary experience and emotions that come with telling a super moving story. So I guess my only regret at this time is, um, although that's also the precise charm of the film, eh, it's like a mural or concrete product already of who I was as a filmmaker that time when the film was conceived. So on that basis... And you were you were a senior, right? You were like 20, 21 or something. Yeah, during that time. 20 or 21. I think 21, yes. Because I was delayed for a year because I I originally came from Department of Engineering. 
Right. <laughs> Wait, Oops. <laughs> Sorry, deviating from that. <laughs> that was a that was a jump from engineering yeah. to film. Yeah. <laughs> to film. I'm yeah. So I'm really happy that you found your passion and you're doing what you love. Thank you. Um, and you know what? I mean, seeing uh just seeing how much I enjoy reminiscing all these things about the film. Like, what? It's already been seven years since it was produced. So my heart is just full of gratitude and love for this film. I mean, the mere opportunity of talking about it right now. I mean, what more can I ask for? <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that this has provided you with that um, outlet. What do you want people to remember about Princess Orduha, both the mythical historical figure and the story that you want to tell? I want first to acknowledge like how she is or like what she is for me on a personal standpoint. And personally, she became like an actual representation of me triumphantly rising from different situations, like from grief to acceptance and moving on. Especially at the time I was still processing the death of my grandmother. Also from failure to victory. Because the first three film festivals that Princess Urduha competed, it didn't garner any awards. So I thought, at least I made it to the official sec- uh, to, I mean, to the official selection. But lo and behold, two, two years after production, it got this um, recognition from a youth festival in Malaysia. And the biggest shock of my life was when it qualified to be a recipient of Ani Nandangal by NCCA. So that for me was like something big. So from super, what do you call this? Like over, on the ground confidence, like low self-esteem. Like later on, sort of redemption. Like sort of, what do you call it? Vindication. <laughs> and then, mm. and so I thought Princess Urduha is like, a manifestation of that inner fire in my heart and spirit to just continually believe that good things will come to those who find the courage to get back on their feet when they when they stumble. And so, for the audience, I think as a final word and encouragement for our listeners, um, Princess Urduha is more than just a warrior. It's not just about being a good fighter in battles and wars. But if you look closely in the, in the accounts of Iban Batuta, she's practically depicted as a very educated woman, diplomatic in nature, great sense of dignity and pride, and, you know, as a leader of her people, very ambitious even. And so I hope it sort of inspires us also, and let this be her legacy, to strive for excellence, um, be the best you can be with the gifts that you have, and if you think you don't have much talent or anything, just strive to learn something new every day. And to always, always present yourself in a dignified manner. Because you are a human and you are a very valuable person. So I, I, I really hope and pray that it's going to be her legacy for us. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you for doing this interview and thank you for doing the film. And honestly, it also inspires me to tell more stories um, because there's there's space for, for, the, for history and especially women's history. There's space for us and it needs to be shared. And so um, thank you. And I hope um, our listeners are also inspired to know more and do more. 
for um, these stories to be heard. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I just hope the audiences enjoyed our episode today. <laughs> and thank you for listening and having an interest in Princess Urduha. And I hope it's sort of sparks like an interest to like other interesting i mean we have myriads of other characters other humans to like study about and know about their story so there just you know just keep on knowing them and just keep on noting all these wonderful things about them thank you so much for listening to episode 10 princessa orduha of tawalisi Producing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do and want to support the next episodes, head on over to our Patreon. Thank you to Laura, Yadi, Kara, and Mando for being there throughout this whole thing. So give us little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, access to the Close Friends Instagram stories, a shout-out at the end of next episode, and the occasional bonus episode. And if you can't join us on Patreon, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works too. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStoryCAPod. You've heard of the terms colonization or decolonization in bits and pieces. But do you find European colonization too broad and too complicated to get into? Well, there is now a podcast for you. Join me, Fidelity, on an introduction through the history of colonization. We will cover not just the major wars and conquests that took place, but also the perspectives of people who have been neglected in the grand Eurocentric narrative of discovery in colonial lands. You can find the History of Colonization podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from.